Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of Fred and its residents with innovative approaches to improving patient care. Castle Biosciences is transforming the treatment of dermatological cancers by offering clinically actionable molecular tests that improve patient outcomes. For more information, visit castletestinfo.com. You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Welcome to episode six of Cutaneous Miscellaneous. I hope everyone's having a wonderful week because I've spent this past week working on my jokes and it's been stressful. Last episode, I spoke with Dr. Don Sammons about board review tips on hair diseases and how to learn and teach as a dermatology resident. And she told me my jokes need some work. So I've been practicing and I'm gonna give it one more shot. Here we go. I hope everyone paid attention to last episode because these tips are hair today and gone tomorrow. Anybody laughing? Wow, wow, tough crowd. Well, I'm hoping I've got some better material for this episode because we have a very special guest. I'm so honored to welcome Dr. Daryl Regal, who's clinical professor of dermatology at Mount Sinai in New York, the director of the Melanoma Surveillance Clinic, and he's past president of the AAD, ASDS, and ADA. And I hear he's running for president in 2024. He's certainly got my vote. <laughs> so Dr. Regal, welcome to the episode. How are you? Real good, Nick. Thank you very much. No, my, uh, my election career, I think, is over. I'll let somebody else go for it. <laughs> All right, great. Well, since that's over, you know, let's talk about uh, first melanoma, which is an important topic. I know you study melanoma, and it's, it's very important um, to know about this for the board. So everyone knows about the risk factors for melanoma. We don't really have to go over those. But what the boards love to test on is the pathogenesis in terms of the mutation. So BRAF, where V600E is the most common mutation. This is commonly seen on non-chronic sun damage lesions and superficial spreading melanomas. The NRAS mutation is seen on chronic sun damage skin sites and nodular melanomas. CKIT mutation is important in acral and mucosal regions. And something that we don't really think about too much is uveal melanoma. GNAC and GNA11 are very important mutations to know. So Dr. Regal, can you give me some of your thoughts on how to answer these questions and what to know about melanoma for the boards? You know, I think you can know some of the things you just brought up for the BRAF is probably the one we see most of, but the hot areas to me and the questions that are really being asked right now are related to mechanism of actions for the different drugs that are out there. And, you know, traditionally we've had four classes of drugs, uh, the BRAFs, the MECs, the PD-1s, and the CTLA-4s. But that terminology has changed in the last year or so. The BRAFs and MECs are now grouped together as targeted anti-tumor therapy, and the PD-1s and CTLA-4s are immune checkpoint blockade because they, in fact, block uh, a variety of uh, the checkpoints that can occur with this. So the easiest way to remember this is that all of the targeted anti-tumor therapies in an IB because they're inhibitors, and all of the immune checkpoint blockades end in MAB because they're monoclonal antibodies. So that's the trick. If they're MABs, they're immune checkpoint blockades, and if they're IBs, they're inhibitors, so they're targeted anti-tumor therapy. So basically, when you have those four classes, everything's sort of a combination of those. And when we look, one of the questions that comes up often on the boards are what are the associated side effects with this? And you can see vitiligo, you know, with the PD-1s, with the uh, ICIs, what you end up seeing is sort of a granulomatous reaction, again, a vitiligo type reaction you can see. With the BRAFs, what's very interesting is you see in about a third of the cases, 
uh, these Ka-like squamous cells that pop up typically four to twelve weeks after the start of therapy. But even more important, you get a number of de novo melanomas that are that come up. The risk of getting ah, that's interesting additional melanomas with that is probably about fifteen to seventeen hundred times higher than the general population. So these patients have to be followed really closely. I mean, those those are the questions that really come up a lot. I guess one other point, there's a new group that's been added to this is the LAG3s, which are basically um, related to uh, lymphocyte inhibition for this. And, you know, that's made a big difference. It's, it's lymphocyte activation gene 3, LAG3. That's an immune checkpoint that contributes to uh, tumor-mediated uh, T-cell exhaustion. So we're going to see more of those drugs that just come out. But again, learn the pathways, learn what they are, because those questions come up a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, know the drugs, know the side effects too, because these immunotherapies can have so many different side effects in dermatology. In fact, I'm managing a patient now who was on a PD-1 for melanoma and developed bullous pemphigoid, and we're, we're seeing him through that. So I really like that advice. Uh, so real quick too, you know, we have many subtypes of melanoma. We have superficial spreading, which is the most common overall. We have nodular, which is most commonly seen in the head and neck. Lentigo maligna, of course, we know is on chronically sun-damaged sites. Acrolentigenous, most commonly seen in darkly pigmented races. Hutchinson sign usually presents as an advanced stage of disease. So any, any um, pointers on the different types or what comes up in the exams regarding different subtypes? Well, you know, the, the types themselves are controversial. Some people don't believe they exist. Um, some people believe it's just the difference in anatomic site. Um, my feeling is we kind of been lumpers over the years with melanoma and probably melanoma is multiple diseases. So if you look at the so-called acrolentigenous melanomas in the palms and soles, what's kind of interesting is the prevalence across all races in palmar and, and plantar melanoma is the same. Um, they just don't see the darker-skinned individuals and, and uh, Asians don't see melanomas as frequently in the other areas. But across plantar and palmar melanoma, it's the same. That's a question that comes up sometimes too. Good. Yeah. Uh, good point there. And one more quick question about melanoma in the board exams. Will the GEP genic special profiling clinical data ever show up in the exams? Yeah, it's starting to. I think part of it, you, you don't have to know the 31 genes or there are 28 genes and three controls. There isn't know the genes per se, but the concept of what do you do with the prognostic information for this? The fact that it can be used in addition to the AJCC classification. You should know the AJCC classifications. It, you know, it's a TNM part of approach with different stages. That question gets asked sometimes too. But you know, if you have, you can see a case scenario with these case uh, these case studies that they do. Of you have a certain AJC class, you have a certain result of the GEP testing. How would you manage the patient? So I think you have to understand how to integrate that into your patient management. Right. Great. Yeah. Thank you again for those really, really nice points. So want to move into the main part of the episode now and just want to start off by saying, I've said it many times, but I love being a dermatologist. You know, we see people from three months of age to over a hundred. We do medicine, surgery, cosmetics. We see malignancies, infections, autoimmune diseases, rheumatological diseases, and also dermatology affords you a wonderful financial lifestyle as well. But if you want to really take it to the next level, you got to manage your money well and you want your money to work hard for you. So Dr. Regal, I know you have a big background in business and I want to ask about, you know, how we can take our wonderful dermatology salary and take it up to the next level. And the first topic I want to ask about is insurances. There's so many different types of insurances, but it's important to protect yourself. So please tell me what insurance I need coming out of dermatology residency. 
Okay, that's that's really a very important point, Nick. And we are very fortunate. All of us are probably going to be in the top 1% of, of earners over the years because of the fact that we're just going to do well. We do well in dermatology. The problem is we're also a fairly big target. <laughs> so if something comes up, you know, the liability issues and stuff are, are really at risk. So there's probably... 10 different kinds of insurances that you need to know about. We'll go over them briefly. Uh, obviously, health insurance to protect you in case really a, a catastrophic event. Uh, malpractice, I think everybody knows what that is, uh, protect you again from that. But personal disability insurance is important. You know, we as physicians always think we're immortal, right? And But the reality is that um, disability insurance is relatively expensive, especially if you're young. That's why you need to buy it early, and uh, it stays at that rate all the way through. As you get a practice, business overhead is important to cover in case you go out. You can, it covers your overhead. Office liability if somebody trips in your office. Uh, office practice insurance has become more important. That's basically protects you against uh, employee fraud, uh, workplace violation claims, and other claims within the workplace for that. Uh, you need auto insurance because if you get in a car accident, again, you're a big target. Um, something called key man insurance if you're in a group that if any of the people, it should be key person insurance, I guess, but it's called key man insurance. And the bottom line is if somebody in your group dies or gets disabled or something, um, that covers the interim while you get somebody else. Uh, umbrella insurance is basically covers all the other things I didn't mention. There are umbrella policies that are cheap. And finally, life insurance. You can't forget about that if you have a family when you're young. It's really inexpensive, and you can get it, and you know, you're otherwise young and healthy, get it. A friend of mine who's in the uh, health and life insurance business says that, remember, you don't own your health. You only rent it. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that. So the bottom line is get it while you can get it because all of a sudden, if you can't get it for some reason, it becomes a problem. So those are the main kinds of insurances you really should get. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good to know. I know in residency, a lot of programs will give their residents some disability insurance, but you, if you read the policy, it's not that much money. And it's a good idea to supplement that with a better, you know, private disability insurance. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and they asked me about, are you saving for retirement? I said, retirement, I haven't even started working yet. I'm still a resident. <laughs> but we should be thinking about saving for retirement right now, correct? Absolutely. You know, you, you think you don't really need it because you're early on, but the point is that the earlier you start saving, the bigger the, your retirement will be. And it really makes a difference. A couple of years early makes a really big difference on the tail end. Now, you think as a resident, oh, God, I don't have this extra money to put away right now and everything with it. But the least thing you should do, the minimum thing, is to at least have an IRA. And the reason for that is you can put away, depending on your age, and we won't go, there's Roth IRAs and non-Roth IRAs. Forget about the details. Just start an IRA because that money that you put away is basically tax deferred. So if you put away $5,000, you're not paying tax on that $5,000 until you pull it out when you're after, and now it's age 72 is the time you have to pull it out. So the idea behind this is we talked about the factors that influence uh, wealth building. The fact that you could defer the taxes enables your snowball to build up quicker. You know, think of your, your income as a, your savings as a snowball. The tax would take a bite out of the snowball every year. But if you don't have that bite coming out, the ball gets bigger and bigger. 
Again, the same friend I mentioned before, who's also an advisor, his comment is uh, tax delayed is money made. So, <laughs> so I mean, we're not, don't do anything illegal, obviously. But, okay. but if you can defer taxes, which you can on a retirement plan, your money just grows quicker and quicker. And again, they're all this data. If you start a couple of years earlier, you'll have three times the money at retirement age than you had if you, just, if you didn't wait. So the point is, Get started now. That's the one thing you could do that costs you nothing. And like I said, because you defer the taxes that year, even if the investment didn't do anything, you save the money on the tax. Dr. Regal, you've been giving us such great information to our listeners, but let's take a pause and hear from our sponsor. Castle Biosciences is a proud supporter of this podcast and its residents by supporting continuing education and collegial discussions. Castle provides clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. For more information, visit castletestinfo.com. Can you tell me a little bit more how that works? So why is that the case? Where if you, the earlier you start, the more you'll have in the end. What, what is the reason for that? Well, just think about it. You know, the whole idea of compounding the money. I mean, the money you get in there, it's starting to work. And the other thing that's really good about it, if you're doing some directing some of the investments yourself, if you make a mistake early on, it's not as painful. It doesn't cost you as much. <laughs> If you make a mistake later on, it you know it can be very painful. I know during the recession of 2008, some of our older colleagues who were about to retire, all of a sudden the stock market crashed, and they you know obviously could had to defer their retirement because all of a sudden their retirement funds were gone and they hadn't hedged. We can talk about that in a little bit, but but if you make the mistake early on, it's not the end of the world because the snowball is small and you have more years to catch up basically to do it. So this is the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Start right now. How about uh, interest rates, inflation? I mean, these are things that we as Durham residents never think about, but they really affect you know our daily lives and everyone's daily lives. So how does that affect us? Well, you know, interest rates are it's sort of a mixed bag. Right? <laughs> you know, basically, if you have higher interest rates, it's better for your investments, but it's worse for your loans and your liabilities. So it's kind of a trade-off. Um, Inflation is one that actually does significantly hurt your ability to grow your investments. You know, and we talk about inflation. The the comment is inflation is like radiation. A little bit of inflation is not bad. You can tolerate it, but a lot is fatal. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're at a high inflation point right now. Again, if you know the inflation is ten percent and you're earning seven percent of your money, you're basically losing three percent. That's the problem. You know, net. Right. So you have to kind of look at that and look at investments. And there are lots of ways to hedge inflation, but but right now you have to look for investments with a little more yield. Otherwise, you know, a two percent yield is you're going to be losing so much ground that you got to come up with something else. Sure, sure. So you know, I'm really enjoying dermatology residency, but you know, we don't get paid a lot. So I'm really looking forward to the day where I finally start making that attending salary, and I'm going to have hopefully a lot of money coming in. But what do I do with it? Do I just leave it in my bank and have the bank interest rate, you know, uh, make the money grow? Where should I put it? Well, you know, that's a great question, especially when you're starting out, and uh, you know, you don't cash is not a terrible thing to have. And I'll start by telling you about a fourth of your your savings should be in what's called an emergency fund. What emergency fund is just cash. If something really goes bad and you need cash, you should have cash. It's the most liquid thing. It could go in a money market, whatever it may be, to get you a little bit of interest. But you really should keep that money there because something awful happens. You know, If you have something in a liquid investment like art or real estate or gold or something, you can't get rid of it right away. So you want that. But what do you do with the rest of it? And there's a whole bunch of ways to get help. The simplest thing to do is look at a mutual fund that's called an index fund. 
an index fund basically will take one of the indices like the S&P 500 and just divide the, all the investments across those 500 stocks. And it typically, mutual funds have where basically have fees associated with them, management fees. And they can be anywhere from a tenth of a percent to more than 1% that they take out of your fund each year. The index funds are the most cost effective and they follow the market. And the amazing thing is they do better than about 60% of the formal advisors just by putting your money in an index fund. That's the easiest way to do it. It's got the lowest amount of money taken out of it to do that. And the next level up, is to really look at some mutual funds themselves. So instead of just doing an index fund, maybe you think healthcare is going to be good or energy is going to be good or you know whatever it may be down the line, tech. There are all these low funds that you can pick that are sector funds that you can be a little more of good. But remember, you're also getting professional management. You're not picking the individual stocks. You're just picking an area to do that. They're also retirement-specific funds. So if you look at most of the major fund groups, they'll have uh, – targeted retirement for you guys probably like you know 2060 or something like that 2050 2060 and what they do is they change the mix of the investments over time so when you're first starting out you can be a little more aggressive you want more in stocks but as you get closer to retirement you want to limit the variance and you want more in bonds or fixed fixed income investments they do that change for you over time so you get onto that with that and then of course, the next level up is to get a professional advisor. You may not have enough uh, capital right now to do that, but I promise you, you will. And if you want to get invest in individual stocks, you can. There's so many apps out there that really help you. You know, uh, CNBC has CNBC Real Time. There's Yahoo. There's CNN Money. And, and most of the uh, investment uh, companies like Fidelity, have, you could get on there and use their app directly with it. And if you do want to try to manage your funds a little bit, I actually, I have no conflict on any of these, but I would tell you that Fidelity is a good one because they will do trading with, you know, no commission trading. They make a little money that you don't see on the spread, but the bottom line is that you could trade and not worry about the commission on there to do that if you want to try a little on your own and see how you do with it. And they have all these what are called stock screeners. So you could put in a bunch of parameters like I want a, a large cap stock that's oil that's you know yielding in the oil sector that's yielding uh, at least a 3% dividend. You, there's a whole bunch of factors you put in and then it just gives you four or five stocks to choose from and you can investigate them yourself. So there's so many ways to do this. Um, and you know, again, you could get all these things. You could get professional management through something like Morningstar, which is a a group that basically puts out suggestions on stock. Or, as I said, you could get a full time person to just do this for you. Again, it costs a little more, but as you're uh, you get busier with your own practice, and as your uh, your nest egg gets bigger, it may pay to do that with you too. Yeah, these have been really some wonderful tips, Dr. Rico. Thank you so much. You know, we all work hard as doctors and we want to make sure our money works hard for us and grows because we all deserve it. You know, we're all out there in the field every day helping people. So this is great because medical students and residents pretty much get no lectures on this at all. So I'm really um, glad we were able to talk about this. And I encourage all the residents to take the topics here and to expand on them to do a little bit more research. But we have a couple of minutes left. I'd love to discuss more. And we always want to end with something on the personal side. And Dr. Regal, I know you're the team dermatologist for the 27-time world champion New York Yankees. So I want to know about what your experiences have been working with the team. Well, you know, it's really an honor to work with the Yankees. This is my 22nd season. And uh, they are very, very professional. Uh, when working with them, 
if they say a player is going to be in my office at one thirty-six in the afternoon, that player is there right at that time. And I think, honestly, that's why they do well. They're very organized in what they do. Um, it's really an honor to work with them. And, you know, I've, I've had a chance to meet players. I know almost all the players over 22 years. In fact, one of the former players was doing a signing here in Manhattan early this afternoon. I just went by to say hello. It was nice to see him. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really exciting relationship. I take good care of them. They take good care of me. So it's worked out really well. It's great to hear. And I think they're doing so well this year because they don't have to worry about any of their skin problems. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, we take all <laughs> the skin stress out of them and they can go out and uh, hit all these home runs and score and, and win a lot of games. That's my key job is to get them happy and stress-free from their skin on the field. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you again, Dr. Regal. Really appreciate the information joining me tonight in this episode. No, it's my pleasure. And again, my, my best advice to take away is start now. Get that IRA, get it going. It will, you'll really appreciate that in a few years. Great. Thank you again. Castle Bioscientists is a proud sponsor of Fred and its residents with innovative approaches to improving patient care. Castle Bioscientists is transforming the treatment of dermatological cancers by offering clinically actionable molecular tests that improve patient outcomes. For more information, visit castletestinfo.com.